This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey all, welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I'm your host, pharmacist Eric Christensen, and I thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to track me down for comments, questions, anything there, uh, Eric Christensen, PharmD, BCPS, BCGP on LinkedIn. Uh, that's probably the social media platform I'm most active on. Or you can catch me at mededucation101 at gmail.com. And of course, I've got to remind you at uh, reallifepharmacology.com, we've got a free 31-page PDF on the top 200 drugs. So it's a great little study guide where I lay out things that actually happen uh, in clinical practice as well as things that uh, frequently come up on pharmacology and or board exams. So let's get into the medication I want to discuss today, and that is levetiracetam. Brand name of this medication is Kepra, and it can be used for seizure prophylaxis and management of uh, many different types of, of seizures in general. Mechanistically, uh, it's not actually really well understood uh, how this uh, medication works. Uh, it's suspected it may have um, inhibitory action on uh, voltage-gated calcium channels in the central nervous system, and this may aid in uh, promoting the action of GABA, which if you remember what GABA does, it is an inhibitory uh, type neurotransmitter. So that's potentially, uh, again, not totally well understood, but potentially um, how it could help in managing seizure disorder. Uh, adverse effect profile. Uh, most common thing that I have seen in clinical practice uh, by far is fatigue, um, potentially dizziness, and then uh, probably less common, you may see some psychiatric changes. So whether that be, you know, agitation or anxiety, things like that. Rare adverse effects, uh, hypersensitivity reaction, skin reaction, um, hematological effects that, that are, are rare, certainly. Um, and then uh, possibly elevation in blood pressure as well. And this might be a little bit more selective for uh, our pediatric population. Dosing of this medication, uh, 500 milligrams uh, twice daily in our older uh, adult population is, is the usual initial dose. Dose increases, you know, on an outpatient basis, usually every uh, couple of weeks is when we're going to increase that medication up to a max of anywhere from probably three to four uh, grams per day, or that'd be 3,000 to 4,000 uh, milligrams per day. We do have uh, IV available as well as uh, both immediate release and extended release oral agents. Uh, what is nice about uh, oral immediate release and IV is uh, typically considered to be uh, 
approximately bioequivalent. So um, transitioning from IV to the oral agent, uh, we've, we've got a one-to-one ratio there because the uh, bioequivalence is uh, approximately the same there. So that makes things uh, easy when we're converting uh, from one to the other there. Now I did want to mention drug levels because this is a, a question that I've been asked many times by students. Uh, I've had to look it up myself. Uh, I've been asked by different physicians and, and providers. Uh, do I need to monitor routine drug levels? And uh, the answer is no. You typically do not need to monitor routine drug levels uh, with levetiracetam. And you know the primary reason for that is there's really no correlated target level for efficacy uh, and or safety. And and so you know just saying a level of 35 is is that efficacious or not. Uh, we really don't have that evidence to say that that it is or that it's tolerable or you know whatever drug level you're dealing with. However, there are certain circumstances where I have seen uh, these drug levels checked and I, I would say the the major reason uh, is adherence. So if we feel that a patient isn't taking the medication for some reason and they're having seizures, that's a situation where we just might want to check and uh, ensure that they do have uh, some uh, drug within their, their system. Uh, other situations where you may see it, it checked, uh, drug level checked, uh, pregnancy, uh, potentially renal changes, uh, maybe geriatric patients. Uh, but again, if we're just looking at a level, uh, to look at a level, and we don't really have anything to go off of from the past, we don't have any baseline level, it's hard to really assess like if that level's gone up, has it gone down, or where we're at there. So um, having that, that baseline level, uh, if we do have a history of that, then potentially uh, getting a level may be advantageous just to see where that patient has been moving. Again, this is probably in situations where the patient's presenting with seizures or uh, they're presenting uh, with potential uh, adverse effects as well. If a patient's been stable for a long period of time, uh, no seizures, no apparent adverse effects, well, there's really uh, absolutely zero reason to check a level uh, in that type of, of situation. So I did mention renal impairment um, as a potential issue with increasing levels and, and why we might check a level. So as kidney function declines, uh, we can anticipate uh, that we might have a requirement to uh, lower the dose over time as well. So uh, keep that in mind, or at least uh, in that situation of worsening renal impairment, we'd probably want to monitor a little bit more closely for some of those adverse effects because those drug concentrations may go up as that kidney function declines. Now I have seen uh, this drug put on board for seizure prophylaxis in uh, traumatic brain injury patients and uh, that can be a little bit of a tricky situation uh, because I've seen situations where patients have never actually had a seizure uh, because of potential trauma damage to the, the brain and central nervous system, uh, you may have some uh, 
providers that want to do seizure prophylaxis and uh, at what point um, do we come off of that seizure prophylaxis if things are, are going okay. That can be a challenging thing uh, to try to determine and, and decide and certainly um, I'm going to lean on clinical experts there to uh, assess whether it's appropriate uh, to, to come off there. So having neurology involvement and ex expert involvement, I think in determining uh, when to come off seizure prophylaxis is really, really important. Uh, but I will say if we're going to potentially try to reduce or taper off any type of seizure medications, we've got to do it slowly, okay? So there's an increased risk of seizure if we abruptly stop uh, seizure-preventing medications. So just start, you know, really go slow uh, if we're tapering off any type of uh, seizure medication. All right, so that's going to wrap up the first section here. Uh, let's finish up on drug interactions when we come back from a break from our sponsor. If you're in the market for pharmacist board certification study material, such as BCPS, ambulatory care, BCMTMS, or BCGP, definitely go check out meded101.com store. In addition, if you're a healthcare professional looking to brush up on uh, drug interactions, clinical pearls, case studies, uh, we've got numerous books and resources available, uh, some through Audible versions, uh, others uh, through Amazon as well. So again, all those links, meded101.com slash store. Uh, your support is greatly appreciated in helping keep this podcast uh, free and educational for all to enjoy. All right, so finishing up on drug interactions. Um, one of the real big advantages of levetiracetam is that it isn't broken down by the CYP enzyme system, or at least that's not its primary way of being uh, deactivated and eliminated in the body. So because of that, we, we generally don't have to worry quite as much about numerous CYP interactions compared to some of the enzyme inducers, such as phenytoin or carbamazepine and those uh, phenobarbital and those type of older uh, anti-seizure medications. So that is a really, really uh, nice thing. Now, I will say in, in rare circumstances and the clinically significance, uh, clinical significance is debated, um, but some of the enzyme inducers may lower concentrations of levetiracetam. So a drug like carbamazepine, for example. Uh, so I, th I think it's important to keep that in mind anyway. Um, and again, I, I mentioned that I think in the, the drug level section, um, that that might be a situation where somebody might consider um, checking a, a drug level. So again, that clinical significance of that interaction and, and how much uh, it's going to drop concentrations of levetiracetam if you start a drug like carbamazepine. Uh, it is uh, clinically debated and, and hard to know exactly how much it's it's going to, to drop and whether it's clinically significant or not. So the primary uh, adverse effect that I think about in combination and, and possible drug interaction is CNS depressant activity. So your 
uh, alcohol, your opioids, benzodiazepines, uh, older anticholinergics, antihistamines, those type of agents can have additive, sedative type effects. And certainly with levetiracetam on board, that may be a little bit uh, greater increased risk. So that's something I do look out for, certainly. Um, looking out for increased sedation, uh, maybe dizziness, things of that nature. All right, so I think that's going to wrap up our podcast for today. If you enjoyed the show, uh, found something useful from it, definitely leave us a rating, review on iTunes. Greatly appreciative uh, to those of you who have already done that. Uh, Go check out reallifepharmacology.com. Snag that free 31-page PDF on the top 200 drugs. And uh, if you want to reach out to me with a message, comment, question, um, you can do that at LinkedIn, Eric Christensen, PharmD, BCPS, BCGP, or track me down at mededucation101 at gmail.com. I'm going to sign off for today. I thank you so much for listening. I hope you uh, enjoyed the podcast, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.